Welcome to the Trochia podcast series. Thank you for listening. We are committed to helping you as you grow in Christ. Join us at trochia.org. How many of you are hungry now? <laughs> oh, that looks so good, didn't it? Oh, well, you probably have heard it. Maybe you've said it. We just read it. Happy Thanksgiving. How many of you have already said that to someone? Happy Thanksgiving? Yeah. You know, I was preparing for today and wondering, what exactly do we mean by that? What are we saying when we tell someone else, happy Thanksgiving? Uh, As for me, I I have a sense that what I want for people is that they have a very nice meal like that that we just saw, that they enjoy the food and they enjoy the company of the other people that they're with. Are you with me? Do Do you say, is that what you mean by that? Happy Thanksgiving? Essentially, it's a more specific way of saying, have a great day. But today, I want us to reflect in a different, this happy Thanksgiving very differently. As we're going to look at today's word, I want us to think of happy Thanksgiving the way that Paul wants us to think about it. Because here's what's happening. Well, it probably already started for some of you. This week unleashes a season of more, right? It's going to be like more people, more parties, more food, more gifts, more places to go. Did I say more people, more debt? I mean, we're going into more, more, more. And I, if, for me, I'm an introvert, so more people is a little stressful. And I'm not one to shop. In fact, I actually really don't like shopping. My dear husband, Jim, buys all of our groceries. Is he like the best? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. And, you know, he will tell you that he shops 80% of the time. No, it's more like 95% of the time. Because I don't like shopping. And this is a season that throws us into more, more, more. And if we don't protect our hearts uh, starting this season, it's not like we're going to be like frogs in boiling water slowly being burned away. It's more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into a fiery furnace. And we're going to come out like fried at the end of the season. Anybody want that? But that's essentially what happens. This season can fry us out. We can come out on the other end and go, what did just happen? And we don't want that. We want to have a different kind of Thanksgiving. We want this to be a a, a year, a season that is so, so thick with Thanksgiving and gratitude. That takes us all the way through. And so I want to uh, go to Paul. In fact, I, I... thought of this today, I thought the chapel is such a special place because here every Sunday we have a Thanksgiving party. Did you know that? Every Sunday. You see, I actually thought of putting these two tables together where our communion is in place and decorating it with all the beautiful things that you can have at a table. And I was actually thinking about what to get and God said, no, 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 Inez, everything that you need is already at the table and it's there every Sunday. And the thing is, when we do something on a regular basis, it becomes routine, and we start to forget what it is, or we start to forget the meaning of it, and we think we have to add to it. But today, I want us to have a Thanksgiving feast here at the chapel through communion. And we're going to look at Paul's words, and we're going to see a beautiful picture of what does it look like to go from just being a a, a person of thanksgiving to being a person of thanksgiving. We want to make a transition to just a day and a time, but a lifestyle of gratitude. Are you with me? Okay, so if you have your Bible, oh yeah, we got enthusiasm in the room. Let's do it. If you have a Bible, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. 
This is going to be our anchor passage. And my recommendation to you, I'm actually going to do this because I need it. Because like I said, I'm a little bit in a bad mood because here we go. We've got to go shopping this week, and I don't like going shopping. But I'm going to put this on the mirror in my bathroom. I'm going to put one on my screen. I'm going to put this passage all over the place to remind myself to be a person of thanks living. These are Paul's words. Let's look at them. This is verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you notice it? Three times Paul tells us, give thanks. Be grateful. We're going to spend our time in this today. Listen, the first Thanksgiving that was celebrated in the USA was celebrated by Puritans who were grateful for the fact that God had protected him, that God had provided for them. Here they were in a distant land, in a dangerous land, and God had given them everything that they needed. That Thanksgiving was all about gratitude, but gratitude to God. And you know, the holiday has changed. Over time, it's become a holiday, and therefore, God gets taken out. And lots of people get together for Thanksgiving. They think, they are saying thank you, but who are they saying thank you to? Oftentimes, they're being grateful in an abstract way, but we as believers, we know this is a time where we thank God who gives us all that we need. So I say we reclaim this holiday. What do you say? Paul urges us three times to be thankful. Listen, he says, always be thankful. Sing to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, do it by giving thanks to God. Very similar to 1 Thessalonians 5.18 when Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. God is saying, be thankful always. Now this reminds me, that I believe that what, God, what Paul is telling us is that he wants us to be happy as we give thanksgiving. We are happy thanksgiving means to be happy as we are grateful. Listen, he said, it's almost like this. Uh, J.K. Chesterton, I don't know if you've read this quote. Listen to what he says. The aim of life is appreciation. There is no sense in not appreci- appreciating things. And there is no sense in having more of them if you have less appreciation for them. I think Paul would agree with that. You see, what is the point of having more if we don't appreciate what we already have? Let's look at verse 17 one more time. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Read this part with me. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. The word behind giving thanks, a Greek word, the root of it is eucharisteo. This word means to be grateful, to be thankful, to give thanks, but it's written in the present form. It's a verb, an action in the present form. You know what that means? It means give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, always give thanks, give thanks today, give thanks tomorrow, give thanks, give thanks, get it? 
Don't stop. Give thanks all the time, in all circumstances, at all times. It's present. The next second, you give thanks. The next second, you give thanks. That's what he calls us. It's a command, an imperative. Give thanks always. And he says, giving thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. And I can't think of a better way for us to actually have a thanksgiving party but by looking at communion because it is in communion that we see why we are to be grateful people. You've heard the word Eucharist. It comes from this concept, Eucharisteo. The Eucharist is another name for the Holy Communion. We call it Holy Communion here. But in the Holy Communion, every time we take it, we set our hearts right and remind ourselves of what is true about God and about us. Three things happen when we come to the table of communion. The first thing is that the Holy Communion reveals to us grace and grace. It reveals to us the grace of God and the grace of Jesus. Listen, God could have left us to our own devices. And I don't know about you, I spent the first 40 years doing things my way. And I know where they landed. Not so good. Some of you know my story. Pretty messy. I honestly believe that if we were left on our own devices, we will all walk ourselves straight to hell. And I don't mean to be hell and brimstones here, but listen, we all know ourselves. We know our tendency is to go in a direction that's not godlike. When the Reformation came, there was this new air believing that, listen, all we need to be is enlightened, more intelligent, and humanity will do the right thing because we're basically good. And yet, right after that, what happened? The bloodiest era ever of humanity happened. We recognize that we are indeed broken. And God could have left us in that state. He could have let another flood come about. But no, God's grace is that he will never leave us to be destroyed. Listen, we know this from John 3, uh, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave. Communion reminds us of God's grace. He is the giver of all good things. Communion reminds us of the grace of Jesus. And for that, let's look at one of the accounts of the Last Supper. All four Gospels tell us the story of Jesus having his Last Supper. So let's look at one, Matthew verse, chapter 26. It says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks, there's that word, eucharisteo, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sin. On the day of the Last Supper, the grace of God and the grace of the Son is revealed. God gave his Son, his Son gives himself willingly for us. We are given grace. And we have to consider the timing of this Last Supper. You see, the people of Israel would celebrate these festivals and these traditions instituted by God to remind them of two things. One is that they were sinful people and they needed 
We needed to repent and receive forgiveness. And God provided that through the sacrificial system. The other thing they needed to remember is that God provided all for them. So at the Last Supper in this season, they're celebrating a number of festivals that week. The day of the Last Supper was the beginning of the Passover day. Now, in the Jewish context, the day that doesn't begin at sunrise, the day begins at sunset. When sunset came down, it's the beginning of the day. This is when Jesus is having the Last Supper. The following morning and day is when the lambs would be collected. They would be killed and made into the meal, the Passover meal. So you have to understand, this Last Supper had no lamb. Who was the lamb? Jesus himself. When he says, take this bread and eat it, it represents my body. Take this cup and drink it, it represents my blood. I am now the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I am now coming through grace to provide you with what you so desperately need. Now time and time again in scripture, we see Jesus describing himself as the bread of life. In John chapter 6, listen to this, it says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, communion reveals that Jesus came to be the lamb, to be the bread of life we also desperately need, that we may never go hungry, that we may never go thirsty, spiritually speaking. So the purpose of communion is to reveal that grace, and the foundation of the meal is the gratitude for that gift. Why should we be grateful? Because he loved us first. He chose us. We did not choose him. I don't know about you, but when I was at my worst, when my life was at the biggest mess, I wasn't searching for God, but God searched out for me. That's the kind of God that we have. He comes out of his way to love us. That's what we remember in Thanksgiving. And you have to imagine this table. I know most of you know that the men that were sitting at the table were fishermen. But did you know that this was quite the crew? These people sitting at the table represented some of this. Some of them were zealots, which at the time was a term for people who were nationalists. You know what their tagline was, make Israel great again. They wanted Israel to be a great nation again. A group of the table were emotional, impulsive, rash, and unthinking in their actions. And if you don't believe me, read the Gospels. Some of these guys did the craziest of things. Some were pessimists. Some were highly competitive. There was one pro-Roman sympathizer, Matthew, the tax collector. He was for the Roman government. There was the doubting Thomas and the greedy betrayer, Judas Iscariot. That was the company Jesus had at his last supper before his crucifixion. Now I know Thanksgiving is this Thursday, and you're, some of you I know are worried about who's showing up at the table or whose house you're coming to eat at. And there's going to be that crazy cousin and the weird uncle and the bossy aunt and the critical mom or dad. There's going to be people at that table that you don't particularly enjoy. And this is the company that Jesus had at the table. And he knew what was coming. Not long after this, we find Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, My, I am sorrowful and troubled at, to the point of death. 
Jesus' heart was troubled at this meal. He knew what was coming. He knew that one at that table would be his betrayer. He knew that all of those guys would run the minute things got hard. And yet, we're told he takes the bread, he takes the cup, and he gives thanks. He gives thanks when you least expect it. Would you be able to say thank you if you knew this was the crowd at your table? Could you remain grateful knowing that people who are going to betray you and leave you were sitting right next to you enjoying your meal? If you're worried about this week, if you're worried about your Thanksgiving gathering, remember Jesus at his last table. And by the way, if you don't have a place to go, if I'm talking about Thanksgiving and you go, I have no place to go, that's why we're doing this amazing Thanksgiving dinner here at the church. And guarantee there's going to be some, be some people there that you don't know and may not exactly like. But it's going to be a beautiful picture of that table. And that's why we want to encourage you to bring some food and, and bring and partake and serve people at the communion table. Thankful does not mean happy. But gratitude leads to happiness. Thankful does not mean happy, but gratitude leads to happiness. You might be at the table and a conversation might begin and you're already, you know, your blood pressure starts coming up because that's that one person who always says the thing that gets right under your skin. You start being grateful and I'll tell you this you're suddenly going to start to smile. You start thinking about something that's good in your life, and they're going to be looking at you going, why are you smiling? You normally get mad at me. You ascend. You go beyond what's being said to a different plateau, and there you can remain happy even though this person is trying to get under your skin. That's the thing we want to be. The second thing that the table of communion does, it helps us remember he who provides. Deuteronomy 8 says this, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Remember the Lord your God. Communion reminds us that God is the source of everything that is good in our lives. That it isn't us. We are people who forget. I mean, if it's really good, things are going great, we forget. If it's really bad and things are going awful, we forget. We are forgetful people. Communion helps us remember that God is the one who provides. Let's look at one more uh, story about the Last Supper, this time from 1 Corinthians, also written by Paul. Chapter 11, it says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, that's that word, eucharisteo, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you think of it in remembrance of me. See, Jesus knew that we would forget. Jesus knew that we have to do this on a regular basis. That's why we come to the table of Holy Communion here on a regular basis to remember what he has done for us. Paul is telling us Thanksgiving is an attitude. It's something we have to take on regardless of the circumstances. 
Now, this week at the chapel, we broke a record. We had five memorials this week and a wedding. I got to do the memorial on Friday. And this was a man in his late 50s who we, we think had a sudden heart attack. He left behind two sons and a little girl, five years old. His wife, obviously, just totally distraught. And I was talking to the mom after the service, uh, the wife's mom. And one of the things that I learned is that not three years ago, this woman had lost a daughter. In other words, this man's wife recently lost her sister, and now she lost her husband. So you could imagine the pain and the sorrow that's in her heart Friday before we start this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas and all the parties, and her heart is in a very heavy place. And as I was talking to the mom and sharing with her my condolences, this is essentially what she said to me. I'm paraphrasing it, but listen to the words that she said. She said, my heart is thankful to God for their lives. We must learn to get through this or we will become bitter. She said, we must continue to be thankful or we will become discouraged. We must learn to be thankful people, otherwise we lose hope. This is the woman who's in great deal of pain. Romans 8.28 says, God is working all things for good. God is working all things for good. And this woman really believes it. You see, thankful people have a heart that understand that regardless of the circumstances, we can be thankful because of who God is. Look, this is Psalm 103, another one that you can cut and paste and put it somewhere this season. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. This is like talking to yourself, self-talk. Listen, praise the Lord, my soul. Put yourself in a heart of gratitude. Sometimes that's the kind of talk we have to have for ourselves. Sometimes we have to get, uh, check our attitude, straighten ourselves up because we get into a negative tone and before we know it, we're like, no joy, no joy. Praise the Lord, all my soul. No, don't forget all of the benefits from the Heavenly Father. You see, gratitude flows out of grace the same way thunder flows out of lightning. Right? It's an expression. It's essentially what happens as we understand the grace of God and the grace of Jesus, who he is and who we are in Christ. Now, in preparation for the sermon, and actually it's sort of a geeky thing I do, I listen to lots of sermons on podcasts. And this week, I particularly looked for sermons about Thanksgiving. I must have listened to 10 or 15 of them. I was so shocked to hear this taught in a judgmental tone. So many times I heard these words. I heard people saying, you should be grateful. You ought to be grateful. You know, if you're not grateful people, then you're sinful people. And these kinds of words just, just broke my heart because, see, that's not the posture of God towards us. And somehow, if you're hearing it that way, it's, forgive me, God, because that's not my intent, and it's not God's intent. God's not commanding you to be grateful because it's somehow like a rule you must follow, and if you don't do it, you're terrible. Because chances are, this week and next week and the following week, you're going to have those moments of ingratitude. And those moments, those moments where we can go back and go, praise the Lord, my soul. 
But we can remind ourselves we need this because it's good for us. Gratitude is good for our hearts. And the only way to get to gratitude is to remember who God is and what he has done for us. And when we think about that, gratitude naturally flows. We don't have to create it. We don't have to make it up. We don't even have to force ourselves. We just have to remember who God is. Colossians 2 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened by the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. When we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, we cannot help but overflow with thankfulness, which I believe Paul constantly talked about. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. What is one of the gifts of the Spirit? Joy. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're feeling ungrateful, you ask God to overflow you with the Holy Spirit, and you will not, I guarantee you, you will not be long before your heart becomes grateful because that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to fill you up. The third thing that communion does for us is that it it gives us an invitation to renew our commitment. You see, this is where we get to start our own personal revolution. Well, we can say to the world, the world is trying to take away our gratitude, and here we get to claim it again. We get, we get to take it as ours. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 3 and read this again with all this in mind. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in good word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. See, the early Christian church regularly gathered together around this table of communion to give thanks to God. What if you and I, this week, as we were enjoying the Thanksgiving feast, wherever we are at, whether it's us by ourselves or us with the community, us with family, even with those people you don't particularly like, but what if, what if as we give thanks, we remember Jesus' words? As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and the resurrection until he comes. See, every time we are grateful, we proclaim who God is and who Jesus is. Every time we allow gratitude to grow in our hearts, we proclaim the goodness of God, regardless of the circumstances. What if... No matter how wonderful, how lovely, how delicious the food turns out to be and how beautiful your table or how beautiful the people at the table, no matter all of that goodness, you recognize that nothing can compare to the land, the supper of the land that we are ushered towards. Revelations tells us that we have a wedding supper prepared for us. And what if what we see here today is simply a reflection of what's coming that is ours? What if, no matter how challenging or painful your circumstances might be, you remain overflowing with thanksgiving because you know your eternity is secure? 
you know that life is yours because of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. We at Trochia are committed to helping you grow in Christ. Please join us at trochia.org. That's T-R-O-C-H-I-A.org, where you can sign up for our monthly e-newsletter, find blogs, videos, Bible study lessons, and more podcasts, all dedicated to Christian discipleship. And make sure to like our Trochia Facebook page to receive short daily devotionals. Be encouraged as our Lord's grace and peace goes with you.